The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to episode 74 of the Practice of Being Seen podcast, where we're examining how to create deeply restorative ripples of transformation within ourselves and within the world around us. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and mentor to therapist changemakers. In part three of our highly sensitive series, we're talking about how the character trait comes with many desirable qualities in the areas of leadership, visioning, and intuition. I'm joined by Karina Antonopoulos, a relationship coach for highly sensitive women. Her expertise lies in helping high sensation, highly sensitive people find support in improving relationship quality, connection, and communication. She guides her clients in how to read the maps of life, navigate the internal compass, handle roadblocks, and diligently take steps towards carving out their own meaningful piece of the world. Karina explains intuition, sensitivity, and the difference in empathy and compassion, the qualities that make good leaders like awareness, collaboration, and noticing strengths and weaknesses are inherent within most highly sensitive people. They can use intuition to be visionaries, to see the guidance needed for the future, even though we know the path ahead is not fully revealed. Highly sensitive people can overcome the tendency to get stuck in non-action when the path is winding and unsure. We also discuss how highly sensitive people can deal with fear by letting it speak and reminding us as a guiding force forward, connecting us back to our intuition. Karina, as a high sensation, highly sensitive person, knows that change can be created when these actions are modeled for those around us. A ripple effect occurs when people lead with knowing and trust. We could all use some good leadership these days, especially the sort that comes from within each of us. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Practice of Being Seen podcast. I'm here today with a new local friend, Karina Antonopoulos. Karina, do you want to just start off by introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me here. And Rebecca, it's so great to have connected with you here locally in this new community that I just moved into. So awesome. Yeah, I love it when I can meet someone who just totally jives, you know, in that same place. I feel like it makes me feel home. Mm-hmm. And that feeling of home is something I feel like I've been looking for a really long time. We I, all yeah. seeking that belonging. Right. I think that's so important. And, you know, we're going to be diving in in this conversation where this is a continuation of our highly sensitive series on the podcast. And I think especially for people who are highly sensitive, who often feel out of step or misfits somewhere in the world, that quest to belong is even bigger. For sure. Yeah, exactly. And my journey started out living in Long Island, New York. And I remember I actually got away, went to college and traveled California, Colorado, Hawaii. I lived in the Caribbean and I found little parts of myself in each of those places But what I realized is that, you know, of course, everywhere you go, there you are. And so I had to learn, you know, where home was in my body and Mm -hmm. take that with me everywhere I went. And so now... deep wisdom. Thank you. It was a lot of, I would say, a lot of deep work that I went through, but I was willing and excited to do the work, even though it was really hard, for sure. Adrenal fatigue, 
just because I didn't really have support systems a lot of those times. But being on that quest helped me realize and own that I am a highly sensitive person. And a part of me kind of denied that for a while because I'm also a high sensation seeking, highly sensitive person. So I was like, oh no, like I'm adventurous. I'm a little bit tough, you know, but I'm brave, but I'm highly sensitive and I do pick up on a lot of things that other people don't pick up on. So that was an interesting combination for me to understand. And once I started meeting other people like me, I saw that, you know, this is a great thing to be and to own and to allow this to be a connection point for finding my people. So, yeah. I'm so grateful that you're talking about this. And I am wondering if you can take us back a little bit. Like, where did you first learn about highly sensitive people and the high sensation seeking version of highly sensitive people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So probably in college, I was a psychology major. It wasn't even in a class. So definitely this is not something that was taught in a class. It was my own personal research online on Google and trying to understand like, why do I feel different from other people? And I think it was after a big breakup with someone that was not right for me <laughs> after my, my sophomore year of college. And this woman who I went to, to have some healing, she was like a psychic intuitive. And she's the one that told me, Karina, you're an empath. And that was the first time I ever heard those words as if it was like a title, like you are this. I was like, I know the word empathic. And so I was like, oh, that's a thing, right? So I started looking that up and that really resonated with me. But there was a part of my intuition that felt like it went a little bit deeper. I didn't feel like the empath was the only scripture. I felt like there was more. And so still in college, doing more research, I came across the highly sensitive person term. But I will say that first time I tucked it away in the closet and I was like, nope, my dad called me sensitive my whole life and I don't want this to be me. I worked really, really hard. Yeah, there's really yeah. a negative connotation around sensitivity. Yep, there is. And it's important that we talk about this because it's important for people like you and I to really change the definition of what it means to be sensitive because there is such strength in it, especially with the way that our world is growing and evolving. Yeah. So I want to dive in deeper right there into where there's strength and sensitivity. And I know before we started recording, you and I were having a little chat and we were talking about the difference between empathy and compassion. And I really believe that these two pieces are part of what make up a sensitive person. And they're part of how we learn how to shift from the sensitivity being something that is culturally not seen as a strength into making it into something that is a strength. Mm-hmm. Can you dive in with us there a little bit? Maybe we start with your definition of what is empathy and what is compassion. Yeah. So actually, I've created a bit of a scale. So let's start with the scale. So we have a mental visual. So I would say one part of the scale, the first part is judgment, right? So you're interacting with someone and there might be judgment. I judge you. Like you point the finger outside, right? And then the next part is guilt, right? Something happens, there's an interaction, and then you point the finger towards you and it goes inward. Then we have sympathy where it's like something happens and then you feel bad for them, right? So it's like a form of judgment. And then there's empathy. And empathy is something happens and I feel with you. Even though maybe I didn't fully experience it myself, I'm feeling everything that you're feeling. And one analogy when my mentor shared with me was being on a cruise ship and seeing someone sorry for this analogy, but <laughs> just throwing up on the side of the cruise ship because they were nauseous. And 
empathy is kind of like you throwing up on the side of the cruise ship with them, thinking that it's going to help them. And it's not. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is my definition of empathy. Yes. And if we could then go to compassion right away for the definition of that, then compassion then is, I see you. Okay. I see what you're going through. I see that you're nauseous, but I'm not going to throw up with you, but you know what? I'm going to rub your back and I give you some water and I'm going to hold your hair back. So to me, compassion is all about seeing the person, knowing that they're going to get through it and really holding space for them. All right. So then maybe we need to talk about how to hold space because one of the things I notice is a lot of highly sensitive people and a lot of highly sensitive healers, a lot of highly sensitive therapists, a lot of highly sensitive caregivers, parents, a lot of people who are highly sensitive and in a caregiving role in some capacity. When we're talking about holding space, sometimes things get confused. And maybe it is this place between empathy and compassion. Maybe it's something else, but something gets like a wire gets tripped and it's almost as if I'm not holding necessarily space for you. I'm holding space for us. I'm so in this with you. Your pain is my pain. I'm throwing up with you, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a matter, a lot of the times when we're quote unquote holding space for someone, but then we're triggered, then that is where either the empathy comes in or the judgment comes in. It's like, and then you're kind of spiraling in there with them versus being the container rather than the water inside the container that's spiraling around. Yeah. Because when you're a container, you can hold that space, you can be that thing, but then you can also like let it go. Right. You don't have to carry it with you everywhere you go. And I think that's perhaps a really important skill for a lot of highly sensitive people to learn how to do. Mm, Yes, for sure. And what I love about part of my journey is I've looked into each of the religions. And for me, I've kind of taken what I've wanted from each religion (laughs) and made my own. And I would say one of the things I took from the Buddhist religion was the practice of being not attached. And it's kind of like, yep, I feel that or I see that. And then I let it go. Right. And it's just that constant practice of letting it come in and then letting it go and not trying to push it away. Right. Not to be like, nope, you're not allowed to come in, just letting it come in and then letting it pass through and being able to model then that for other people. I think that's a big part of holding space. Yeah. And we could probably have a whole nother podcast just on talking about what that means, what non-attachment really is. And I'm sure in the future we will, (laughs) but that's a whole topic of its own. And it's a complicated one. It's one that can take decades for someone to really integrate and learn. It certainly isn't something that we can just get overnight. Right. And I would say for that, we have to remember that all we need to do is be willing. We don't need to have done it, like just like forgiveness, right? We don't have to necessarily forgive and we don't have to know how to forgive. We just have to be willing to forgive. Same thing with non-attachment. We just have to be willing to not be attached. Well, there's so much in there. There's so much richness in there to unpack because, you know, yes, we have to be willing, but there is so much sometimes that comes into play to get to like, we can want to be willing. Right. And be willing to be willing, right? And be willing to be willing, but there still can be obstacles, right? And I want to acknowledge those obstacles because I mean, I'm sure you see this in your work too, but in my work all the time, I want to let go of these things. I want to forgive. I don't want to hold on to this, but it's just there, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So one of my biggest tricks, one of the things that I tell all of my clients is, okay, let's just notice that. Let's not judge it. Let's not diagnose it. Let's not look at it 
through any lens of pathology or shame. Let's just notice it and notice where it comes up and how it comes up and what it feels like and where you feel it in your body. Let's just notice it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And even given it a little personality, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. I like to give it a name and what does it look like? And let's have a conversation with it. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just saying to a colleague the other day, let's start just cataloging some of those things that keep coming up for you. Let's just make a catalog of it. Mm. Okay, so let's keep diving into this a little bit more because now we've defined a little bit about empathy and compassion. We started to differentiate and we're talking about how once the highly sensitive person can move from that space of just deep empathy, I'm feeling this with you, to that place of compassion, I'm holding space for you to feel all these things. Now we can start having a conversation about how come highly sensitive people can really make such great leaders? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So that's a prerequisite though, right? Like we need to first move from the place of empathy to the place of compassion. That there, There's something in there that needs to happen first, isn't there? Otherwise we get caught in the mud. Right. Yeah. And I would say we get caught in the mud when we stay in empathy. And, you know, one of the highly sensitive, you know, strengths is empathy. And yet I would take it one step further because, you know, we're focusing on leadership here, right? Because you could be a highly sensitive person, but then you could be a highly sensitive person who is wanting and willing to take the path of leadership and be a leader in your own life and your relationships. And I would say to take that step is just the awareness of like, oh, there is a next step, right? Sometimes we don't realize that there's a next step. We just stay on that step. So compassion, understanding compassion breaking it down, experimenting with it, Googling it, like talking to people about it. I feel like it's a word in the dictionary that we know, but we don't understand. Mm. Mm. So that is a part of leadership is really understanding what that will mean for you as a next step. All right. So now I'm, I'm breaking things down with you more. I'm going to do this a lot. So I think my listeners know that I do this. What is a leader? You just define leading in a few different ways, you know, leading in relationships, leading in what ways? Like, how can one lead and what is a leader? Let's not even talk about why highly sensitive people are great leaders yet. We'll get to that. But what's a leader? Hmm. I would say the first word that pops into my mind when you say that is awareness. I think that if you're someone who is aware, then you have the opportunity to be a leader. And that's another thing with highly sensitive people because we're picking up on things so much from our environment and from other people. There's a lot of things that we're aware of that people are not. And so if not necessarily that we have to like change them or fix them or tell them what they have to, not even like that. It's simply having the awareness and then choosing how you want to be with that awareness. And, you know, that'll look different every time. And that is just, I say that it's kind of a vague statement, but the awareness piece. I know in my relationship with my husband, there are certain things that I'm more aware of than he is. And therefore I'm the leader in those areas. So when it comes to emotional intelligence and where we want to take our lives, right? Kind of discerning what the next step is. I'm very intuitive and knowing the best next step for us. And he is more aware of the worldly things about finances and about, you know, being strategic in, you know, your, the risks that you take in planning in regards to like buying a house and making sure you have everything set up. So we have different strengths. And so working together and collaborating, I think that's another component of leadership and understanding that other people are going to have different awarenesses than you. And so that's why leaders 
aren't like the top of the triangle, right? The top of the pyramid. It, to me, a leader is like maybe a point in a web, but there's a lot of points in the web and we're all connected, sharing our awareness of what our strengths are. Mm. There's a book I read many, many years ago. It might've been like the Tao of leadership or something along those lines. Mm. I'll find it and link to it in the show notes. And one of the beautiful little excerpts that I pulled from that book many years ago that has always stayed with me is that a leader is often one of the best followers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I would even say, so a friend of mine last year explained to me the difference between an alpha leader and a beta leader. And I found that highly sensitive people tend to be great beta leaders. The beta leaders are the ones who see and lead from behind and they make sure everyone is kind of coming along with them rather than like, you know, forcing or domineering or controlling. It's the, the beta leaders inspire and they wake people up to want to make changes themselves. Oh my goodness. You're taking me to so many places, even in my own life, if it's okay that I ramble for a minute. Uh, yes. Okay. So back in my, like, I mean, just out of undergrad in my early twenties, I did a three and a half month outward bound leadership course. And so much of that course, what, I mean, we were living in the wilderness. There were like nine of us and it was all about soft skills. It was all about working together. It was all about collaboration. It was all about finding our ways through hard experiences together. And it was that experience that I think that has totally shaped everything about me. But it also taught me so much about what, I mean, it was called a leadership course, duh, but it taught me so much about what leadership is. And it's not, I think I'm just kind of realizing this as we're talking right now. There were moments on that course where I might have been the very last person hiking up a mountain or I might have been, you know, the second to last or something like that. Or we had my pack. I was one of the smaller people on the trip and my pack, you know, weighed as much as some of the larger people on the trip. And we had to go through and redistribute weight or something like that just so that we can all move together. I'm just kind of musing on this for a minute because it feels illustrative of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of different kinds of leadership. And, you know, it's like this. It's kind of like when you're dancing, one of you might take the lead. It's you take the lead where your strength is. And I think this is important that leaders are aware and recognize where strengths lie. Yes, for sure. And there's so many different types of strengths. I know for me, you know, even StrengthsFinder 2.0, when I first did that, I was like, wait a minute these are strengths, you know, like this is just me. (laughs) And then once they broke it down around how they are strengths and how they're valuable, it completely changed the way I saw my life and the way I chose to be in it and how there were so many other strengths that, you know, I could maybe tap into, but they weren't my natural ones, but I saw it in other people. And I feel like, you know, that feeling of not enough, right? I'm not enough. It comes from comparing ourselves, thinking that someone else is, better than us or more smarter or more successful, but truly everyone has natural strengths. And I feel like the neutralization of that not enough energy comes from truly knowing your strengths and seeing the benefit of it and the value of it and how you can contribute to it. Can you share with us an example of a strength that you found taking the strength finder that surprised you and you were like, well, that's a strength Mm. just to illustrate for us. Yeah. So for me personally, it's like some of them were 
were very obvious, like futuristic, right? I always am thinking about the future, very visionary person. Em- empathy is another strength, top five of me. That was very obvious. But number one strength was strategic. And my whole life, I was like, well, I'm a feeler. I'm not very analytical, you know, versus maybe my husband, who's more a thinker. So I always associated the word strategic with a thinker, analytical type. And what I realized for me is that this is my number one strength, Rebecca. And I'm like, what? Like, what does that mean? And really what that means for me is I, as a highly sensitive person, I guess, like this is what I've learned from Elaine Aaron is just, you know, I pick up on a lot of information from all these different places. And I even bring in information that I've learned from my past. I have, you know, just like certain visceral memories stuck, you know, in my body, just from the emotions that I felt and the presence that I experienced. And bringing those all together and then feeling for intuitively feeling for the best course of action and always knowing like I can always feel for the lightest path that will lead us in the best way possible forward. And that is often connected to strategic, right? The strategic path that will bring you closer to your goal. And it was an interesting strength that I was like, wow, I never would have thought of it like that. Anyway, the way you're describing it, it's almost like an opening, like like a relief, like, oh, I <sighs> look at myself that way too. Yeah, right. Exactly. And for sure, that really blew me away and yeah. just great to own and see how I can help other people and support them on their path when they can't see because they have different strengths, right? But I love that. Strength. What particular strength finder were you using? Was it the VIA or something else? Strengths Finder 2.0. You know, you send me a link to it. I will and send we'll put, I also, there's another one that I've used before that's called the VIA, V-I-A, but we'll put both in the show notes so that people can play around with them and see what works for them. And maybe they want to find some of their strengths that way. Sounds great. So one of the other things that we were talking about before we started was that leaders, and you, you alluded to this already, are visionaries. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, want to, I really, really want to explore this. This to me feels like the meat of why highly sensitive people make such great leaders. Yeah. So what I truly, truly see, and I will say this, not every highly sensitive person has these, you know, really, truly embodies these strengths, but it's ones that are coded in us and you can develop for sure. But I would say as a visionary, you're able to see what is not here yet. And so often we get stuck in what is here. And sometimes, you know, we have to be mindful and we just have to be in our five senses and just be present with the here and now. But when the here and now is not good and it's terrible and it's falling apart, if you are stuck in that and just seeing how it's, and then believing that this is the way it's going to be forever. I don't know if you ever had that feeling, but like anytime I was in a period of depression, I was like, this is how it's going to be forever. And I had that feeling like, oh my God, this is never going to change. And it felt so heavy. But tapping into that visionary strength of like, even like a little glimpse of like a little dot of inspiration of seeing and feeling an idea of what my heart desired to create from the mess, right? Seeing then and feeling what was not there yet. That is what has always brought me through to the other side and whether it was my personal life after my father passed away or, you know, even just we have leaders in our world being able to see beyond what is to create a new world. Mm-hmm. To me, that is 
one of the most important things that our world needs right now. I am in so much agreement with you. I really believe that visionaries are exactly what we need more of right now, especially as the world feels more chaotic and our lives feel more chaotic and there's so much noise coming from everywhere. In my therapy office, I constantly am seeing people coming in and feeling those blockages and feeling hopeless. And I think if we can tap into like the innate visions that we all have within us, and I see this all the time when I do it therapeutically with my clients, it unblocks and it creates that holding space for hope. Yes, yes, and yes. And, you know, one thing I think that in order to really activate that visionary strength is to be willing to activate your imagination. As a psychology major, I had a very, well, I had my whole life, I had a very active imagination, but as a psych major, I learned about mental disorders. And I had a fear that the things I was imagining were not safe and that I, there was something wrong with me because I, you know, had this very active imagination. And I was like, oh my God, I don't think I can trust my imagination. But rather, your intuition speaks to you through your imagination. Mm. Yes. And as long as it's coming from a place of love, I would say if it's coming from a place of fear, that's probably not something, you know, to listen to. And especially if it feels very heavy, I feel like we can imagine a plane crashing, right? But to me, that's a fear. When we're truly in a state of crisis, our intuition in those moments is going to speak to us clearly and going to tell us exactly what we need to do. So your intuition will never speak to you through fear. Well, I agree with you. And I also maybe have a caveat or a, a reframe yeah. on that. Okay. And that's just that I think fear is also another language that our intuition speaks to us in. Only we misinterpret it and we don't know how to understand the language most of the time. So instead of getting on the fear train and giving fear the steering wheel and letting fear drive the car, it's more about letting fear speak to us and remind us what we need to pay attention to, what we need to tune back into, where we need to slow down, what we need to reprioritize. That fear also is a guiding force. It also has messages that reconnect us with our intuition and our internal knowings. Yes. Definitely. Yes, I love it. <laughs> I love the, the broader perspective of fear, for sure. I think, but that takes work to get there. Like, you have to learn how to do that piece of the work. And I think pain is another one. It's just like fear, you know, and, you, and this might be easier for a lot of people to imagine. But if you're training for anything athletic, let's say, and you have a pain somewhere in your body while you're training, you don't necessarily want to push through that pain because that pain might be there to say, hey, watch out, you're going to get hurt. Something's not in alignment. Something's not working right. Maybe your shoe or your sock isn't on right and it's causing a rub, which is going to cause a blister, which is going to make continuing to run this race that much harder. So slow down and take a look at it and fix it first and then keep going. Yeah, look at it. Look at it. Don't yeah. run from that, from that fear or that annoying thing that we keep pushing away. Just... Mm -hmm let it come in and let it have a voice. Let it be seen. Yeah. Yeah. This is the crux of this podcast, the practice of being seen where we're going into those places that are sometimes difficult and hard to look at. And we're sitting with them and noticing them mm -hmm. and seeing what they can teach us. Yeah, for sure. I am totally, totally loving 
all the places that this conversation is going. We've been talking about empathy and compassion. We've been talking about what makes great leaders. We've been talking about how to tune in and develop your imagination a little bit. We can probably talk about that more and how to be an amazing visionary. I think we need to talk about how to take this into the next step. How do we take these visions? How do they guide us? How do the visions guide us? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because, you know, even you proposing this question of like, how do the visions guide us? Sometimes there are questions that we don't know how to answer. And even now, right? My maybe sometimes our mind wants to react, you know, because if we're confused. So it's like, ah, I don't know. And I love, I don't know answers because that means I get to drop into my heart. And so in that place of questioning, where can these visions guide us into dropping us into the heart and kind of the practice that I do is I then ask my heart the question, right? First, sometimes my mind will want to take over and like, nope, we're going to drop this into the heart. (laughs) Can you consult with the heart on this one? And the response is always way different. And from there, once I drop into the heart, something always pops up. There's an image or a word or, and to me, that's the imagination, right? That's the intuition speaking through the imagination. It's just like booing up, like a, coming to the surface of a still lake, something to share. And I think for each person, it, it will be a bit different. But it's the, the practice of listening, dropping into your heart, being still, and trusting that intuition, listening to that intuitive guidance. Can you share a little bit about, for you, Rebecca, how you've brought in into, like listening to your intuitive guidance? into the work that you do. Yeah. You know, you were just talking about trusting that intuitive guidance. And I think that for me, that really resonates deeply. It's been a real journey of building a relationship with my intuition. Mm. You know, like the wise voice in my head, as opposed to the judgmental voice in my head, as opposed to the voice in my head that tells me all the things I should have done, as opposed to the voice that tells me, you know, and there's all of these voices. We all have them. But there's also a voice that kind of knows. And I've had to sit down and really get to know her. I've, I've spent some time in meditation, in dreamland, in my journal, in therapy, getting to know her. And that has helped me to trust my intuition. Because my intuition is merely another part of me. But it's a part of me that knows things that I might have forgotten. And I'm coming back to myself when I listen to it. Always, 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 always coming back to that relationship with ourself, with our intuition. And to me, this is even just another component of leadership. Our relationship with other people is going to start with our relationship with ourself because how we do one thing is how we do many things. It is everything, right? If we want to create a ripple of change in the world, if we want to see some big transformation on the horizon, we have to start with ourselves. Like, let's just take the environment for a minute, right? If we want to complain about global warming, but we're not recycling anything that we're eating out of or watching what we're buying and bringing into our homes or throwing away, Mm. right? Like we can affect change on a very personal level. Yes, we can. For sure. Yes. You know, because it's always a lot easier to just point the finger and say, oh, this is too big. But really, it's only so big because so many people are, everyone has their own piece of the power and in the change of it. Mm -hmm. Right? 
But we create change by rippling forth from ourselves. So if I'm living in my integrity and I'm committed to the things that I'm committed to and I'm modeling that type of life for the people around me, my children, my husband, my clients, my colleagues, my peers, my friends, my family, then I'm sending a message and maybe it's rubbing off on somebody. Yeah, always. It is. I know for me, that's part of ego, right? Of wanting to like help people and make a change. And I feel like, yeah, okay, our ego, we have to have a healthy ego, right? Because that healthy ego does want to create change and believes that we can create change. But then there's also that coming back to that non-attachment of like, I don't know who this is going to truly impact, but it will create a ripple effect. And just to trust that and just to know that when I show up every single time, I'm seen and I'm heard and it's going to reach who it needs to reach in that moment. Knowing, trusting, being seen, being heard. I mean, this is soulful work. This is spiritual work. This is deep work. And yet it's the very place that we get to when we're talking about highly sensitive people as leaders. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing how as well that we start within and then the outer follows, right? We start within and the outer follows and the deeper we go in knowing ourselves and believing in ourselves, And I feel like it creates that momentum to start taking small actions, like you said, and, not even like, oh, is this the best action? Nope. Just take the action that your heart is telling you right here, right now that feels the lightest and that is it. And then take the next and then the next, right? We're not given. If you're on a think of the rail trail, right? You can't see down the road. It's not a straight road. It's windy, turny road. And you just take the next step and it leads you into the next part of that path and you're not, it's not revealed to you until you get there. So you have to take that next step. You have to take that next, make that next choice that will bring you closer. Joseph Campbell says that if you can see the path out cut out in front of you, then you're on somebody else's path. Yes. I love that. (laughs) I've been quoting it a lot lately. You know, one of the things that you said here is to take the next easy step and eventually the path will be revealed. You'll just keep taking the next step and the next step and the next step. And this is one of those obstacles, one of those challenges that I think a lot of people get stuck in because they want to know what to do. They want the plan. They want to know, how do I get from here to there? How do I manifest this? And it immobilizes them. They get stuck in a place of non-action because they don't know what to do next. And what you're saying is take the next easy step, just that, just the next easy step. Yeah. We get so stuck in the how, but really we just have to like exactly that. (laughs) Ask the heart, what is my next light step? Take it. And then it'll tell you the one after that. Because if you think about it, it's kind of like if the universe told us the whole manual of how you're going to get from point A to point B, you'd be really overwhelmed with all those steps. And then you might get confused around like, oh, wait, is this really the best one to do? No. The universe is like, no, I've done this enough times with enough people. Just, I'm going to give you the next step. Just take it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a smart darn universe. Oh gosh, I want everybody to hear this podcast, whether you know you're we're talking to highly sensitive people or not, because I think this is a really important message right here that what we get immobilized by is sometimes overthinking. It's overburdening ourselves. It's trying to know too much, where it's actually in that unknowing place where we can just tap into kind of the somatic like what movement feels right, that we can actually let go and unburden ourselves. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because 
sometimes we force ourselves like, no, it has to be hard, right? Like I, even like something as small as like getting healthier and going back, being more active. It's like, oh, I have to start with like five days a week. It's like, no, what is the light next step? Why not put on some workout clothes today, right? And even if you don't get to the gym, at least you got your workout clothes on. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, just taking that, what feels good. It's got to feel good. And to me, that is when we enter our flow, right? If you think about water flowing down the river, it's never like, oh, let me go backtrack that way upstream. Like never. Water is so intuitively moving constantly with the flow. And even if there's a rock, it just goes around it, over it, always finds a way. Water is very resilient, just like us. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think this is very much the lesson that a lot of the folks that are in my mentorship group for therapists have been learning. They've been learning how to tap into this flow, intuitive place where what is right for them, what is their next step is one that feels right, that feels light, that feels easy. That's not burdened by all of the enoughness and comparisons and other obstacles that often get in the way. Yep, for sure. And as facilitators, right? Because I do see myself as a facilitator as well as a coach. It's really about, again, holding space for people to consistently tune in and follow that inner guidance because that's the one thing that people don't do enough is trust that inner guidance. And so we just are that reminders to go back in. She knows, <laughs> just ask, she's going to guide you and I'll be right here if you, you know, forget again. But just that reminder to just like keep checking in. She's going to share you know, with you because every path is different. Like you said before. So much. Oh, I love this conversation. And I can't wait to sit down and have another cup of tea with you. Maybe we'll even have to put together a little local workshop. Mm, I would love that. That would Wouldn't be amazing. That'd be nice. Yes. Yes. So let our listeners know where they can find you. And I know that you also have a podcast. It may have been on hiatus for a while, but you might be bringing it back also. So there's, there's also places where they can get to know you and listen to you. Why don't you share that with us? Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much. So the podcast that I currently am doing is called the Highly Sensitive Leadership Podcast. And currently sharing one episode a month and then eventually I will grow. But this is a very, one of my projects that just feels like it needs that nurturing to grow slow. So go on over to iTunes or on Stitcher, the highly sensitive leadership podcast. And also just, there's a community on Facebook. It's called a place for highly sensitive people. So again, I created this group as a way to create a place because I never felt like I had a place in the world. So that is our space if you're looking for community and connection and just that understanding that you are highly sensitive and there's nothing wrong with you. But we're changing the definition of what it means to be sensitive in our community. So you can find me over there on Facebook. Wonderful. We'll include links in our show notes. Thank you so much, Karina. I always love diving into conversation with you and this particular conversation is so rich. So thanks. Yes. Thank you for creating this space for us. If you're an instigator of change and you want to dive deeper into connecting to your own leadership ways, there's a link to click in our show notes to learn more about working with me one-on-one. And if you'd like to learn about my relationship therapy practice or intensive couples retreats in New York, go to connectfulness.com to learn more. I'd love to hear your feedback about this episode or any other one. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can join our community on Facebook, 
Find us on social media at Popscast or send me an email at practiceofbeingseen at gmail.com. The Practice of Being Seen podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, along with the amazing I Can't Do It Without You support of Christy Hausler. Music by Chris Farris Jr. and Sr., produced by Kidney Stone Studio. We hope that you enjoyed the show and that you'll join us next week for another episode of The Popscast. Brought to you by Connectfulness. Connectfulness.